Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me this afternoon. I'm your guest host, Deb Hutton, and now I am joined by two of our smart speakers, John Moore, host of Moore in the Morning, and Reverend Michael Corr, News Talk 1010 contributor. Welcome back to The Rush, gentlemen. Nice to be here. So I was just talking with a Toronto Star reporter out of Ottawa about a report that he had that says that Justin Trudeau's government is considering a rebrand of their carbon pricing and its rebate program. Um, John, you know, when you and I spoke this morning on our regular feature on Monday mornings, that I'm of the view that Trudeau needs to go whole hog on this because uh, I just don't see how he wins against Polyev's acts the tax, given where he is in the polls, and given that this program has become so unpopular. So I say, like what I say earlier, go big or go home on this. But is there a, a subtle tweak that can happen that would make Canadians feel better about the uh, carbon pricing program? I don't think so, because I think there's a tremendous disconnect between the desire, which I assume people have, to better the environment and the carbon tax. And it should always be you know, emphasized that the carbon tax is a very conservative idea. What you do is you price things and you make them more expensive if you want people to consume them less. However, there is just no saving this. And, you know, this is kind of almost an existential discussion and maybe Michael has some thoughts on it. But, um, you know, I've, I, at my age, I'm 57 years old and I've reached the point where it's like, okay, I can't fix this wagon. I can't fix this environment. I can't stop climate change. So I'll be dead. And then, you know, the next generation can figure it out and maybe they're really going to hate us, but I just don't think in the current time frame that there's a desire to do anything about it. Michael. I think we have to be honest here. This is not the Trudeau liberals fighting against the conservatives. It's a party that does believe that uh, climate change is the greatest threat we face against enormous, enormous vested interests who don't want anything to be done. Huge billion, multi-billion dollar enterprises. It's not a conspiracy theory, but we know it's the truth. The reality is, if we don't actually start to fight now, it's all, I mean, it may already be too late, but if we don't do something concrete and absolute now, uh, we're going to be in enormous trouble. And as John said, it won't be. I mean, I'm old. I'm 65 years old, for goodness sake. I'll probably drop dead by the end of the week. But perhaps <laughs> your children, I have a grandchild. It's their future. But it's always very difficult in a democracy, of course, to say to people, you're going to have to pay a bit more taxation for the sake of people who come after you or for the sake of things that aren't directly tangible, like quality of life and so on. And when taxes go up, there'll be a complaint. And what Pierre Polyev has done is what many conservatives are doing the world over, and it's to play very, I'm sorry, unethical politics. And a phrase, uh, acts the tax, it's totally meaningless. People stand up and cheer. Uh, their children won't be cheering. Uh, when they have to live in an environment where it, where death comes 20 years earlier because of conditions and so on, they won't be standing up and applauding. But I don't think there's anything the Liberals can do at this point, and I've said this on other shows, to save uh, their electoral chances. And when it comes to this policy, and, and here's the bitter irony, the more progressive, the more humane it is, I think the less popular it will be. Michael, why do you say it's unethical? So I, I get your other arguments about this and, and sort of self-interest of individuals and all of that. But when it when Trudeau first came out with this, uh, he was at a different place in the polls. I think affordability was different in this country. And yet that's not where we are. So what makes it unethical for Polyev to, to fight against it? 
Well, because, you know, it's, it's not true. And what John said is absolutely correct. Actually, carbon pricing is a, is a very conservative way to tackle environmental problems. And Pierre Polyev has not offered anything to the people of this country to try and fight climate change. He's playing the politics of the immediate. He wants to win an election. I think he probably will. And nothing will be done to really to save uh, what is what cannot be taken back. I mean, it's not about a building falling down or not about a war that we maybe can stop. It's about a planet that will not be livable. And even saying this now, I guarantee there are people saying, oh, my golly, what is he going on about? Column after column in various newspapers, some of them appearing on the, on this radio station saying climate change is a hoax. It's not true. There's not a problem. It's very difficult to stand up to that sort of thing. What do you put out? A few scientists who aren't very charismatic to say, actually, there is a major problem here. It's, I don't think it's going to be successful. And it's not just in Canada, uh, in, in the United States, in the United Kingdom, throughout continental Europe. It is true that the countries, China, for example, major polluters, and, and yes, they're, they're hypocrites. That doesn't change our reality, though, and I think we have to take a moral stand. I don't see that happening under Pierre Polyev. Okay, and I'm curious, actually, Deb, I mean, you've got kids, two beautiful young daughters who conceivably will be alive in the year 2100. Do you worry about climate change? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, for me, it, it becomes very personal. What can I do? Um, but like everybody, you know, there's the big but. Maybe it's the hypocrisy, as Michael just said. But it is also a balance every single day. So I looked at a Tesla, for example. Do my part for the environment. A, I couldn't afford the size I wanted. Again, that's a choice. I get that. Not everybody gets to buy a big vehicle. And B, it didn't provide me with what I wanted in my day-to-day -day life as I see it. So did I buy uh, a Tesla? No, I didn't. Did I buy a big gas guzzler? Yes, I did. <laughs> do I still say to you, I care about climate change and I do my part in my own little world? Yeah. So I don't know. Does that make me a hypocrite? Does it make me unethical? I think it makes me pretty normal in 2024. It's not about the individual. And in terms of electronic cars, I mean, if you go to Europe, it's completely different. Canada is such a vast country. We don't have the infrastructure yet to make it really viable for people to have electronic cars. But it's not about what the individual does. We, we, we can all, and we normally do, act ethically. It has to be about government policy. The way we... I suppose, define how a business, a, a huge company can operate in our country. The example we're showing to the rest of the world. And it, it isn't a question of, well, shall I or should I not? Should the government do this or should it not? It And I, I loathe to sound like some bad movie on Netflix that everybody <laughs> raves about. But we really are, we, we are approaching a situation. I mean, we can see it even now. And it's, it's more than anecdotal with, with temperatures. And when people say, oh, look at that. There are bulbs coming out in, in, in late January in, in, in Ontario. Yeah, yeah, there are. And why is that happening? I, I do fear for the future. And I... I worry that we will keep electing governments that will give us very, very immediate um, fun and, 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 and taxes might be a little bit lower in the short term, but the long-term price we, we will pay will be astronomical. 
We didn't leave ourselves. This is, I'm terrible at, at uh, moderating these things because I get too deep into them myself as well. But John, you shared with our listeners this morning on More in the Morning your frustration with the city. I played some of the clips of what you said uh, in terms of feeling everything in the city is broken a little bit earlier in the hour. My question to you and to you both is, so do you see anything in the budget? Because let's face it, you need money to fix things. It's not exclusively money, but do you see anything in a budget in a 10.5% or, God forbid, a 16.5% increase in taxes on the property tax base that would help fix everything that you shared with our listeners earlier today? I don't think so, to be perfectly honest. And just to situate things, I mean, what happened was my subway, which happens every time I take the subway, was interrupted. It was stalled at Bluer, so I got out and I walked. And I just stomped like a six-year-old down Young Street and also yelled at every cyclist who was bicycling on the sidewalk. And I got angrier and angrier and angrier, but what does not work in this city? And, you know, we can get into a big debate about who we need to blame for why we are in this situation. But, I mean, the garbage cans are overflowing. There are people parked in our in our parks. The subway doesn't work. Um, I just, I, I feel like, and, and I always find myself wondering, actually, Deb, we live in an extraordinarily wealthy city in a wealthy country, and even we can't make this city work. So I'm not sure what the solution necessarily is. I will turn it over to Michael Korn. Uh, Well, a lot of this has to be anecdotal, and we have bad days, and I completely understand what John is saying. I don't think it's as bad as that. Today, we took, um, for some reason, we had about, I don't know, 50 half-empty cans of of paint downstairs. I don't know why we had them. We took them to uh, to the, the toxic waste, whatever it is. Everybody there was delightful. They were helpful. It worked. It was efficient. A lot of this city does work. The subway, though, is often what we encounter on a daily basis, and the subway in this in this city is very poor indeed. And I come back from European cities that have a vast underground subway system, and as with John, not every time, but I would say a third to half the time I get on the subway, there'll be a problem somewhere. And then when people say best country in the world, I mentioned I just turned 65. I get a dollar five cents, I think, off my trip on the subway. Just to yeah. In in London, England, at the age of sixty, everything is free. All of your transport is free. So it's very easy to say the best. We have the best. We're the greatest. We're not. And Toronto has decayed. And I think if there's well, there's going to be an increase in taxation. Some things will be repaired. But I have. And, and it's not just being politically left-wing or right-wing. The, the amount of time we spent, for, for example, on, on building bicycle lanes where you never see anybody on a bike. The lack of enforcement, as John said, of people on, on the sidewalk. And Michael, I'm going to have to call it there. We're up against traffic, but we will return after the break with Michael Korn and John Moore. This is Deb Hutton on The Rush. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me this afternoon. I'm your guest host, Deb Hutton, with you until 6 o'clock and then back every day this week at 2 in the afternoon. And right now I'm joined by two of our smart speakers, John Moore, host of Moore in the Morning, of course, someone you hear every day right here on News Talk 1010, and Reverend Michael Korn, who is also a News Talk 1010 contributor. When uh, we last left, we were talking about John's view that perhaps the city needs a little bit of work. It feels like it's 
broken. I asked whether he had any hope that the uh, upcoming budget that we will be getting uh, the next version of, which is the Olivia Chow version, this Thursday, February 1st, was likely to help that. Now, Chow has been out doing a little bit of pre-positioning of that budget. Uh, this is a relatively new process, only the second year that we've seen this as a result of strong mayor legislation. The mayor, whoever that person is, comes out with their budget after having received and consulting on a what we'll call the staff or the, the city budget. That, of course, occurred over the last couple of weeks, and on Friday there were recommendations to the mayor from Shelley Carroll. They called for greater affordability, but stop short of saying that the mayor should consider lower taxes. Well, today she's talking about property taxes that would impact renters. In other words, for multi-residential units that some of our renters live in in this city. The original proposal, John Moore, was 4.5% mm-hmm. property tax height, which is half uh, what will be placed potentially on residential property taxes, uh, taxpayers. Do you think we're looking at less than 4.5%? Her language today would seem to indicate that she is not going to give landlords any additional reason to hike rents. Yeah, I'm not sure, actually, because, I mean, one of the problems is that there are caps on how much you can raise the rent for somebody, whether or not you own a condo and you're just renting to somebody or it's actually a legitimate rental property. So the ability to pass on whatever raises you're going to impose on the property owner is somewhat complicated. Um, But at the same time, you know, you and I talked about this, Deb, this morning that, you know, I'm mindful of the fact if I'm going to complain about the fact that I think our city is broken, then I have to concede that maybe we need to spend more money to figure out how to fix it. And so if that's the case, we have to find a way to, you know, create the new revenue and a fair way to pass that on to those who have to pay the revenue. Michael Korn, uh, does it make sense to you that Chow would soften the burden on essentially renters through the property taxes that they pay in their rent for multi-residential units um, to a significant degree when you're looking at potentially 9% for regular homeowners? Yeah, I'm not surprised at all, actually. It's interesting, uh, property tax, uh, the bills came through just last week. I have mine on my desk in front of me. Beautiful me too. green and white. Yeah, and uh, it, it's not that high. I mean, I don't uh, pay it with relish. You'd have to be masochistic to do that. It's a fair amount of money. But uh, when we consider what we're given, what we pay for, we're, we're not really overcharged. You've got to remember Olivia Charles' electoral base and a lot of those people perhaps the vast majority would be renters. Um, rent People who rent, I mean, we have four children. Realistically, maybe one of them will, is going to own property. The others, I can't see when they'll get out of renting, actually. Renters have a very hard time of it. Landlords are not always completely scrupulous. They will try and increase the rent as much as they can. Um, this doesn't mean that rents will be any more reasonable, but at least it does prevent landlords from saying, I have to charge more because of. No, I'm not surprised at all. I think there's been a lot of pressure on her. I think people have actually said around her, look, increased taxation, yes, you were committed to that, we have to do it. But there's a major difference between someone who owns the property and if you know we're property owners, this house goes up in value all the time. Whereas if you're renting, all you're doing is is paying money to, to make a landlord wealthier. So I think it's a good idea, and I'm not surprised by it either. 
Ah, see, this is where I struggle because I want to jump in and say Michael Korn, but people then who uh, have properties may not choose to rent them out. And then you have a supply issue, which we all know increases rents ultimately. But I will move on. Oh, but, yeah, landlords are not struggling. I mean, we don't see landlords lining up saying, oh, please, you know, Penny for the poor, can you help me? No, they're doing rather well. Yeah, well, and Deb, you have to concede, if you are a landlord, if you are a property owner who chooses not to rent out, then you are spoiled. Rotten. Oh, I don't. I don't agree with that. You you can <laughs> you can simply say I'm just going to put it up for sale, and then sometimes that becomes, particularly smaller units, that becomes a single residential unit, and you lose. Like you, you can't you can't squeeze landlords so much, and then wonder why we continue to have a shortage. People don't don't build, and they sometimes say I'm, it's not worth my effort to rent out my basement apartment. But right, I will but if move there on. are people who are banking, <laughs> if there are people who are banking properties, you know, that they go into a condo tower and they buy 10 units and they don't rent them out, I got no sympathy. I'm, no. I'm with you on that. I will concede that for no other reason than to move on. <laughs> Former Toronto <laughs> Councillor Karen Stintz is uh, looking at securing the nomination in Eglinton Lawrence, currently held by Liberal Marco Mendicino, who, as you know, was formerly in the Liberal cabinet in Ottawa and was dumped last time out. General thoughts, John Moore? Well, I like Karen Stintz, but then I like almost anybody who's ever contributed to our show. Um, and I always say, you know, talk radio apparently leads to things. Um, I'm not as strident as uh, Scott Reed was this morning about it, but I do find a certain degree of opportunism because I'm not sure that her political makeup overlaps as much with Pierre Polyev as it could. And I'm mindful, as I said in the show this morning, there was a whole cohort of liberals who ran under Chrétien who were actually conservatives and they just ran because they wanted to be elected. So Michael Korn, for me, it's all about uh, context. And in the world of Toronto city councillors, I consider Karen Stintz on the right side of the spectrum with me because, you know, the rest of the spectrum looks pretty left for me in this city. So I, I'm not even remotely surprised and would actually be surprised not in this particular election, but if at some point she were to have run for the liberals. Uh, I I never quite understood her politics. I mean, she ran she ran for mayor, didn't she? And, she did, uh, 2014. Yeah. It wasn't a particularly impressive campaign, I remember. I, I mean, I, I may have met her. I honestly can't remember. I don't think I have. Uh, but the, this is a question that I would ask about anyone who's running for office. What do you really want to contribute to our country? Are you there? And I'm sure she's a wonderful person, but are you really there to try and make this country a better place? Or are you part of a political culture where if you don't win at one level, you try at another? And what I've seen in Canada, and I've been here, what, 37 years now, are a number of people who run at federal, provincial, municipal, and it seems to be part of a almost a career step. And the parties, I say the NDP will be largely different, but liberal and conservative, a lot of people seem to be able to cross over with relative ease. And I don't think that's healthy. I think the ambition, the career structure and the lack of um, firm ideology, that's not healthy for a democracy. Gentlemen, I think we got through half the topics I hope to. But thank you so much for your contribution. My fault, not yours. John Moore, host of Moore in the Morning. He'll be back here at 6 o'clock, bright and early tomorrow. And Reverend Michael Korn, News Talk 1010 contributor. Thank you both for your time this afternoon. Coming up after the break for news, I'm going to be joined by Marika Walsh, who is the senior political reporter at the Globe and Mail. And we're going to find out what shenanigans were taking place in Ottawa in this first 
first day back of Parliament after a six-week break. We'll get the scoop and find out all about the finger-pointing.